Welcome to this podcast from the National Humanities Center. I'm Robert Newman, President and Director of the Center, and your host for this episode. With the average American producing four and a half pounds of trash every single day, the United States generates nearly a quarter of a billion tons of garbage each year. But beyond the serious and immediate environmental concerns about this level of waste, what can we understand about ourselves by examining the things we discard? What stories are contained in the detritus of contemporary life? Today, we're talking to Stephanie Foote, Jackson and Nichols Professor of English at West Virginia University. As a fellow at the center this year, Stephanie has been working on a new book exploring the narratives that have arisen around garbage and how they have shaped the ways we think about consumer culture, the global economy, and the environment. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you. So tell us, why a scholarly book on garbage? Well, I have loved garbage all of my life, and I think that most people do. You probably know that there's been a lot of popular interest in garbage, so Heather Rogers and Elizabeth Reut's book on uh, garbage land and here today, gone tomorrow, those kinds of books have been really wonderful, and they're all about what people in the industry call municipal solid waste, which is the stuff that we throw away. And all of my life, I've been a thrifter and a junk picker, and I think that a lot of people have been that and that they've also learned to work on eBay or through Craigslist, which is that we're almost all involved in the kind of curated circulation of secondhand objects. And as a scholar of the 19th century, I actually also love detritus, the small unseen things that people throw away. That's what scholars do. They pick up these tiny marvels and they make narratives about them. When I got interested in the environmental humanities, I was trying to find a text that had coiled within it a series of stories about the things that we valued and the things that we threw away. And really it became garbage, a really particular kind of garbage. Objects that we once loved and used and cared for, but that we somehow thought that the value had been drained from. So that's where the book started. You're imposing kind of a value proposition on on garbage, and, I am. It, and it gets into the whole the whole notion of what do we value and what don't we value? What kind of stuff do we throw away? Uh, how other people's trash become a certain people's treasures? So, can you elaborate a little bit in, in terms of how your project takes up the issue of value? I have been thinking about this. The first thing that I got to was that as somebody who's done most of her work in the 19th century especially the late 19th century, this is the moment, the turn into the 20th century, the late 19th century, where the theories of value that are most important in the humanities came from. So Freud's theory of why we love and value objects, or Marx's theory of objects as commodities, as congealed labor value, or anthropological arguments about the value of gift giving. So I started thinking about those, and then I started thinking about the acceleration of life in the late 20th century where commodities circulate faster than our ability to actually invest them with these powerful values. They go too quickly. So I started thinking about how we individually try to value objects, but how Objects themselves as garbage also have a powerful economic value in the world. You probably know 
that the United States exports a huge amount of its garbage, and it transports it from state to state as well, which means that garbage itself, as a collection of discarded things, is itself a commodity. And I know that you've been also reading the news, and I've been feeling like a Cassandra about this a little bit because I read the um, waste industry trade papers, and so now the news has broken that we are about to lose our ability to export so much of our recycling to China. We export about a third of our recycling to China. It's just going to put a huge, huge, A, it's a huge economic blow, but also it really undercuts our fantasy of what recycling is. For us, recycling is this amazing thing where we just get rid of plastic and paper and steel and we save the environment. But actually, all along, we've been selling it at you know, according to market prices to China, and we're going to stop doing that. We're going to have to stop doing that. So I think that people actually are going to now have to see the huge economic value proposition that is in garbage and what we do with what we dispose of. So you're also talking about our our culture's changing relationship to things and a kind of interesting sort of conflict between a collector and a discarder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so can you kind of unpack that a little bit more for us? I can. The middle part of the book is organized around our cultures right now, and you can see it in popular culture, our fascination with collecting and hoarding and discarding. And there are entire, you know, there are entire TV shows and channels about how it is that we learn to love and accurately categorize objects. People who categorize objects correctly and who have a plan for what they're collecting and who have a certain historical investment in them or an affective investment in them, those people get to be called collectors and we really value them. And I've been very interested recently in how collecting has not just You know, it has a long historical story behind it, but also there are people who are taking their collections very, very seriously now. There are lots of things like house museums where people will open up their houses one day a week and show off their amazing salt and pepper shaker collection. There's actually one in Maine that is a perfectly ordinary house. Those people are very valued and they have a very clear cultural place and position, and they're the inheritors of a very long sense of how we correctly value objects as the bearers of historical narrative. But we're also obsessed with people who have a pathological relationship with objects in the U.S., and in particular, we're obsessed with people who hoard or people who don't seem to understand that their objects have any real value. But part of the thing that people who work on hoarding talk about is that Actually, they are the kind of apogee of our culture's speed and their ability to actually invest objects with value because many hoarders see objects as all value, which is they see what some broken lamp could be if you fixed it or what you could do with it if you took it apart and made it into something else that actually they've inherited a terrifically powerful creative sense of what to do with used objects. Unfortunately... It's pathologized in our culture, and we don't actually... I think that the distinction between these kinds of television shows and cultural sites, collectors we value, anybody can be a collector, and hoarding and shows about hoarders 
actually demonstrate our powerful inability to even know what we mean when we say garbage. You reference people having objects in their houses, mm-hmm. almost like sort of uh, mini museums. Yep. And your book talks also about these new museums of garbage that have sprung up, yeah. as well as the idea of garbage art. Yeah. So please talk about both of those things for us. I love the exhibits of garbage, and they're, they're just such beautiful things. So there have been traveling interactive exhibits of broken love affairs, for example, and what people are asked to do is give a little object that shows or that in some way embodies the destruction of their love affair. And you see these traveling exhibits where people are just giving little mementos in which they distill all their feelings and they write a little narrative about it. And these have been incredibly powerful exhibits. Garbage art, you know, I will say that has such a long history. And when I proposed doing a chapter on it in this book, I remember coming here and thinking, well, I shall do a chapter every other month and I'll be I'll be done in just like that. But the librarians here are too good. And so now I've got a stack of all of this great garbage. The garbage art I've been really fascinated by is um, especially by Tim Noble and Sue Webster. And what they do is find piles and piles of garbage. And if you see it in a museum, it is literally just, you can't even figure out what you're looking at. It's just this pile of stuff. It's designed so that when a light shines through it, what you see on the wall behind it is a perfect silhouette of human social actors doing something completely mundane and and even joyful, like having a picnic and drinking champagne. But they're really showing how much of conventional, everyday pleasure is underwritten by a huge amount of waste, right? And it's just a it's just beautiful stuff. There are some fantastic garbage fashion designers, and they're making very ephemeral pieces of clothing out of scavenged or scrounged material. I also love garbage art in part because it connects with what a lot of people who are designated hoarders believe about themselves, which is that they're artists, that they're finding something beautiful and sublime in what people have thrown away, and that because they can see it and because they can see the possibilities in it, they're actually rescuing something very rare and potentially creating something that's never been seen before. I think that the overlap between how we pathologize an individual who is garbage picking and how we fetishize an artist who is using found material is really really needs interrogation, especially given that most of the garbage that we ship away you know, it will be given to emerging economies where people are actually living on the dump, right? And we don't think of them as artists, although there's some fantastic work coming out internationally about garbage art and people creating politics in the dust heap. Some of your previous work touched on uh, literary realism, Mm -hmm. and so I want to steer this project toward that uh, as well. I mean, if if we think about the ephemerality of garbage art as well as the kind of recovery of discarded pieces to give them a resurrection, as it were. What does that say about realism? How does this alter literary realism in particular is inherited by, from, say, William Dean Howells or Henry James? What's the contemporary vision of realism that we're getting through this lens of garbage? That is a question I've been really, you know, thank God I have this fellowship because I get to work on it here. The first chapter of the book is about lost objects in realism. What happens to the lost objects in the cluttered 
narrative world of realism, right? I have been thinking about that in terms of social histories of junk picking in industrial cities in the United States at the turn of the century, but I've also been trying to think about, just as you say, what are we getting in the evolution of texts about the Anthropocene in the moment we live now? And one of the things I've been seeing is that a lot of contemporary fiction, especially science fiction, that is interested in questions of climate change or in questions of changed social relationships under political instability that is itself linked to climate change, is actually trying to work through some of these problems of what you do with masses of objects that are somehow out of place. So even a book like Emily Mandel's Station Eleven, which I think is quite wonderful, it just has lists and lists and lists of objects that have not fully been assimilated into the text. So one of the things I think we see is that realism as a project you know, it still has a powerful hold on the imagination, but it is breaking down around a world flooded with objects that are too rapidly becoming garbage, right? And the objects themselves, in some sense, are the thing that has precipitated a decline of culture into a giant garbage heap. So I've been enjoying looking at that transition and hoping that it will lead me to be able to say something about the emergence of cli-fi or climate change fiction. So at the beginning of this conversation, you referred to environmental humanities, mm-hmm. which, as we know, is a, is a burgeoning interdisciplinary field. Can you define that for us? What's environmental humanities and, and what's the contribution of this work to the field of environmental humanities? I think that environmental humanities is really the direction of truly fascinating interdisciplinary work right now in the humanities and the social sciences, and even in some of what we call the hard sciences. And I think the project of the environmental humanities is basically the project of working with other disciplines in order to focus on questions of climate change that are broader than just questions of how quickly is the Earth's temperature changing? How quickly are the oceans rising? It's really trying to make a contribution to understanding the long and deep history of interlocked social and cultural problems that have at various times coordinated these jumps, right? This jump into the Anthropocene. For me right now, one of the most um, exciting things about environmental humanities is that it is turning to things like garbage and actual material objects, and it is trying to invent new ways to think about how we narrate objects and let those objects tell their stories to us. So I'm hoping that this book really contributes to ways that we think about the stories that objects can tell us and the stories that we hope that objects will be able to always repose for us. And, and you see the sort of coiling of materiality and narrative through the environmental humanities. Are there any um, theoretical impasses that we're experiencing in the field of environmental humanities right now? Thinking about environmental humanities being informed by theoretical approaches, but we're also talking about practical application. So is there a tension there? I do think there's a tension there, and I think that some of the new materialists and the object-oriented ontologists who are trying to think about materiality in really specific ways that the humanities are critical for, I think that some of those impasses are actually in materiality itself, which is to say it 
often feels that the humanities cannot quite make policy recommendations, right? And so this is one of the practical impasses, right? Like what if we start thinking about qualities of the object that are withdrawn as object-oriented ontologists teach us to do, or we start thinking about the various ways we invest meaning and historical narratives and objects, but what is that going to do? And I, I actually, um, my intellectual tradition is post-structuralism, which gave us this amazing architecture to think about how culture and subjectivity and politics and biopolitics are all articulated together and it's easy to neglect materiality in that. So I think that one of the impasses is that we've been trained in that way of thinking and that it is actually hard for us to think about materiality right now. Thinking about materiality really does mean thinking about the circulation and the impact of actual material, even material that we use to write these books that we value so much, right? I am very aware that the computer that lets me do this research and write this book is going to end up harming somebody. It's going to be taken apart and harming somebody. So I do feel like one of the things the environmental humanities really needs to set itself as a goal, and so many practitioners are setting this as a goal, is to think about ways to make what we do have some kind of practical application, right? It's not just a transformation of our imaginative world. It's a transformation of how we imagine actual practice in the world. So in conclusion, what do you hope the takeaway from this project would be, not just for your your peers in esoteric scholarly dimensions, (laughs) but what you hope to accomplish in terms of social justice and changing the world through this project? (laughs) I actually do hope that when people are working with objects, it's not just that we need to make less and throw away less. Those things are true. We do need to make less and throw away less. I hope that we realize that the objects that we throw away are not disappearing, that they will actually travel across the globe, that they will have an impact on somebody else's life, that they may well poison other people. And that, I think, has been one of the worst exports of the United States, which is a kind of long-lasting, what Rob Nixon calls a slow violence of environmental toxicity. So I do hope that the things that people get from environmental humanities projects all involve how closely we are all touching one another and how unequally distributed that kind of touch is, right? We release something, we release a piece of garbage, and we feel free, and we feel like we've decluttered our house. But in fact, we may have done something and probably have done something very damaging to somebody else. Well, thank you, Stephanie Foote. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in. I'm Robert Newman. Please join us again for our next podcast from the National Humanities Center.